Welcome to RVR's Life After Camp podcast. Learn about the camp and retreat ministries of RVR at rivervalleyranch.com. Enjoy. Good morning, y'all. A um, couple things real quick. My time has already started. I'm getting anxious. Um, about our raffle, all right? A reminder, middle school boys, first, last name. We need both of those. There's a, probably a dozen Elijahs in this room. First and last name, okay? Uh, legible. Le- I, if I can't read it, I can't, you can't win, okay? Take your time. First, last name, write legible, okay? Um, because the time has come and gone, just so everybody's clear, the, the reference I was thinking about last night was from Home Alone, okay? So if you wrote Home Alone, good on you. It was brought to my attention also when I removed the AirPods from my pocket, I said Pocketses, all right, which is Lord of the Rings, all right, Smeagol, Gollum, my precious. Um, we counted those two, okay? So if you put either one of those things, Home Alone or Lord of the Rings, uh, we counted that, okay? The Sound of Music, what did I say that <laughs> the hills are alive? Did I say that when I showed the picture of my backyard? No, I didn't say that. Um, anyway, those are the correct things. Here's what I remember from last year, all right? Saturday morning is tough because you guys came in last night, you were fired up. Bedtime rolled around, you were fired up, all right? Three o'clock rolled around, you were fired up. And then at 5.30, 6 o'clock, like, you dozed off and you went to sleep and then your leaders woke you up and you're like, how can this be? And now it's going to get kind of dark in here and you guys are going to simmer down and you're going to start to, to do this, all right? If you find yourself in that position, don't offend me by falling asleep. Leaders, if this is okay, get up, walk to the back, do some push-ups, smack yourself in the face, do something, and then come sit back down, okay? Don't linger back there, but if you need to get up and refresh yourself for a second and then come back down. I'm going to say that because otherwise, if I don't, you know, give you kind of permission to do that, you're going to get up and walk to the back and everybody's going to think that you're going to the bathroom and that'd be weird, right? So we're going to assume if somebody gets up and walks to the back, they're trying not to offend me by falling asleep, okay? I will try and press on and we're going to get through and then you guys are going to do some amazing activities today, okay? So we spent last night laying a foundation. Uh, foundation is, is uh, vital. It is of the utmost importance for us to build upon. If we don't have a foundation, then we get to our crescendo tonight and, and we just don't have the understanding. We don't have the knowledge. We don't know how we got there and things can just, you know, come tumbling down. So we're building foundation. We talked last night about creation, all right? This morning, we're going to talk about what happened between that, that account that we looked at in Genesis where, where God intentionally, lovingly, um, intimately created Adam, the first man, and put him in this perfect environment with everything that he could ever need. He gave him a mate in Eve, 
and gave him dominion over this perfect place. And we contrasted that with what we see around us in, uh, this is February of 24, all right? When you get old, you guys see people doing that that are older than you. They like have to close their eyes and squint their eyes and think, someday you're going to get there, okay? Uh, Time, and it runs together. Um, You wonder, okay, if if that's how God created things to be, then, then how did we get to the reality that you and I are experiencing day in and day out. And that's what we, we want to look at um, this morning. And so we're going to jump right to it. Genesis chapter 3, all right? We're still in Genesis. We're still looking at the beginning, okay? How, how these things came into being. Genesis chapter 3, you can turn there if you have your Bibles. If not, we're going to have it up here on the screen. Genesis 3, starting in verse 1, says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, all right? So, Adam and Eve are in the garden, um, and this, this, this beast, this serpent, comes up to Eve and engages in a conversation with her. There's ins and outs of this that we don't have. You talk to your leaders about it, okay? You have questions, talk to your leaders. They have the answers. Um, the serpent says to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Now, we looked at that account last night, didn't we, in Genesis. Um, there were two trees in the garden, there, there were lots of trees in the garden, but there was one specific one that God said, don't, don't eat of this tree. It's the, knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, okay? The serpent comes in and begins to ask these questions. Did, did, did God really say that you can't eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent in verse 2, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die, for God knows that in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eye and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. Now, you think back to last night. A place of of absolute perfection with one tree which God says, don't eat from this tree or you'll die, all right? The serpent comes in and, and, and causes them to question that. Now, as far as we know, Scripture doesn't tell us otherwise, for a while, Adam and Eve were content to obey God until the serpent comes in and, and confronts them and causes them to question God's perfect provision. And y'all, we, we ended with this last night. The enemy that we talk about, uh, Paul in Ephesians 2 last night calls him the, the prince of the power of the air. You know, Peter referred to him as a, a roaring lion. The enemy is cunning. The enemy is crafty. The enemy loves to produce doubt in us. The enemy loves to create confusion among us. And that's exactly the approach that we see here in the garden. This this. This serpent coming and talking. And you know, 
like God had given Adam and Eve dominion over, over the garden and, and, and they're naming the creatures. And like somewhere in this conversation, you know, when you look at scripture, um, we obviously, we know the things that we need to know, but like we read this account and we're like, did it not cross anybody's mind that like they had named this creature and it didn't talk to them at that point and try and like swindle them? I don't know. That's, these are the things that we can look at in hindsight. But Adam and Eve, when God put that tree in the garden, Adam and Eve had the ability to choose, all right? We talked about this extensively last year. If any of you were here last year, our, our theme was freedom bound. Hey, if you want to hear those, those messages, RVR Life After Camp podcast. You guys can go back. Shameless plug for that. You guys can go back and listen to those messages. But we, we spent a lot of time last year talking about that, that freedom that, that God gave Adam and Eve to choose to make a decision. You know, uh, people ask, well, why did God even put that tree in the garden? Why didn't he just, you know, make it, make it perfect and, and, and not put that tree in and not give them the ability to choose? And man, then everything would have been better. But yeah, but they wouldn't have had the ability to choose to obey or to disobey. We would have been, you know, robots just programmed to do what robots do. So here's, we, we have to make a distinction here as we're, we're looking at um, what's taking place in the, in, the, in the garden. God had told Adam and Eve not to eat of the fruit of the garden or they would die, right? The serpent comes in and questions and says, you know, you, you're, you're surely not going to die. In other words, you know, God, when he said that, he's, he's telling you a fib. And so we have to ask the question this morning, who was right? Because if you go on after the text that we just read there in Genesis 3, you know, it says that Eve ate, and she obviously didn't drop dead because then she gave the fruit to her husband, and then he ate. And so did, did God deceive Adam and Eve when he said that if you eat of that, you're, you're surely going to die? Was the serpent telling the truth the whole time? Let's, let's make a distinction here so that we're all clear, because again, this is, this is foundational to our faith. When you live in the country like I do, you have a lot of people who have a lot of time on their hands. Um, and some of those people like nothing better than to go around spreading um, encouragement and, and cheer. And so sometimes you drive through town and you see pictures like this one. That's, that's a squirrel if you're in the back and you can't. That's a squirrel. And, and somebody has tied a balloon to that squirrel. How precious is that? It says, feel better soon. Is that squirrel good? <laughs> I'm telling you, you live in small podunk towns, and, and this is the kind of stuff that you see. Is that squirrel going to feel better soon? Is that squirrel going to feel better ever? Why? It's dead. Yeah, you guys. It's dead. That squirrel is dead. All right? It is Physically, and I found, uh, you know, sometimes they're not that, like, pretty. Like, there's no blood or guts or, I can't, can we edit those words out in post-production? There's no yuck around that squirrel, okay? I have to be careful. You know, around my house, I'll say things and my wife will hit me and be like, you can't say that. Like, we don't say B-U-T-T. -T. We say bottom, you know? Like, I'm going to spank your bottom. Um, anyway... That squirrel is dead. Physically, that squirrel is, is dead. The, the, 
be clear on this, understand this. The death that Adam and Eve died when they disobeyed God, in the moment that they disobeyed God, it, it, was, not, it was not a physical death as we saw. Eve ate it, gave it to Adam, neither one of them dropped dead. It was not a physical death that they died. It was a spiritual death. Understand this. This is deep. You guys can go deep on this with your, with your counselors, with your leaders. We as human beings are the most complex of God's creation, okay? We are, um, again, Ephesians 2, we'll get to this uh, Sunday morning. We are God's workmanship, all right? So we aren't just physical beings, we're spiritual beings. And God had created all of these different things that were in the garden, but when he created Adam and Eve, he, he just didn't make them physically alive. He did that, yes, but he also imparted in them a spirit. When God breathed the breath of life into Adam and Eve, he imparted into them a spirit. And every human being since them is made up just like they were of both body and spirit. And this spirit that we have enables us to do things that rip squirrels and dogs and other living things in creation can't do and feel because they don't have a spirit. But guys, this morning, because we have the, uh, the, the, the spirit, because we have a spirit, we have the ability to think and feel and create and love and do all of these amazing things. But when Adam and Eve disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden, that spirit was damaged. And nothing that Adam and Eve could do going forward could ever repair it. The once perfect, unbroken fellowship that they had with God, was it was, it was destroyed. And as a result of that spiritual death, all of the perfect provision that God had given them in the garden, it, it was taken. They were, they were placed outside of the garden, never to go back in. God even put like flaming swords at the entrance of it um, so that they, you know, they're not going to go back in. So in that instant, everything that God had created changed. The perfect design that God had created came crashing down. And ever since then, this is, this is where the disconnect happened between the picture-perfect garden we saw last night and what we see when we look around us. This is when the disconnect happened here in Genesis 3. And ever since then, we have seen humanity struggle to fill this void that's in our lives, struggling to deal with sin, struggling to deal with the effects of sin in our lives, struggling to feel alive, even though we're spiritually dead. Let me talk for a second about what that looks like. When we're spiritually dead and we want to feel alive, we begin to pursue things that the world has to offer in hopes that it will fill that void in our lives and in hopes that it'll make us feel something. And so began, you know, from, from Genesis 3 on, this, this, um, this yearning for what was originally meant to be. And as I'm saying these things, there's probably some different reactions among some of you. Some of you are hearing this and you're thinking, okay, this is starting to make sense because I see the brokenness around me and I, I don't understand why it's like that because last night we, we had this picture of everything being perfect, but I look around and I see that things are not perfect. And some of you have already identified this in your own life and you've searched and you've searched and you've searched and you've started to grab on to certain things that make you feel. And some of you 
those things that, that you cling to, those things that make you feel, some of you even hate those things. And yet you still run to them and you still cling to them. Why? Because they make you feel something. Man, I could have shared a lot of statistics with you guys this morning. And to you guys, they're just going to be a bunch of numbers. Your, your leaders would probably hear those things, and, and they're, they're heartbreaking. The things that, that come up in conversations as we're talking, um, as they're identified, the things that we run to, drugs, alcohol, pornography, guys, gals, that's, man, social media, the, the desire to, to feel liked and to feel accepted, social status, influence, self-harm, like, hey, when all of these other things don't work, I'm going to feel some other type of way. We're like fish out of water. Any of you guys like fishing? That's all there is to do in my town. I do a lot of fishing. Um, you know, some fish are really tender, like, not like eating tender, but like uh, if I go down to the river below my house and I catch a rainbow trout, those things, like if you look at them the wrong way, they're going to belly up and die. Uh, catfish, I can go to the New River and I can catch catfish. And those things, man, you put them on ice overnight and you come back the next morning and they're still like chilling, wondering what's up, you know, are they going to release me to be free and in the wild? No, we're going to eat you. But, but you have all these varying degrees. But if you've ever pulled a fish out of the water and you've, you've watched it, like they're, they're designed to live in the water. They, they breathe in the water. God created them that way. It's amazing, isn't it? Like, how do they do that? They have gills, all right? <laughs> but if you've ever watched a fish struggle out of water, guys, that's what it's like for us. We're struggling to breathe. We're struggling to feel something. And so we pursue all of these things that have no life to give us. They have no life to give us. I don't know how much value you guys at the age that you're at put on the wisdom of people older than you. And I hope that when your youth leaders and your pastors and your parents and those people who love you give you instruction and advice, like I hope that you learn from those things. Some of you, you're going to have to learn the hard way. You're going to hear those things and you're going to be like, eh, I know best. Man, that reminds me of a song. Um, don't, don't, anyway, (sighs) the year was 1994. All right. I'm going to date myself a little bit. Not that sounded weird. (laughs) I was 10 years old in 1994. It was the week after the 4th of July. It was unseasonably dry in Sparta, North Carolina, okay? I was homeschooled that year. Any homeschooled people? (laughs) All right. Yeah, we can all be weird together, right? I'll meet you guys in the... Yeah, okay. Um, 
that was a great year because I had a friend just down the road who was also homeschooled. I and mean, we got our work done in like two hours. And then every day we got together and we played. Um, he had gone to, to, to Tennessee for the 4th of July, came back. Tennessee, you can buy the good fireworks, you know. He comes back from, hold up. This timer is back to 30 minutes. Do I get? No. Okay. They're saying no. Okay. I'm going to hurry through then because <laughs> I don't know where I'm really at. He came back from Tennessee. He had all these good fireworks. And I remember him showing up to my house that day with his bags of fireworks. And my dad looks at him and he's like, hey guys, it's unseasonably dry in North Carolina for this time of year. I'm going to recommend strongly um, that you guys just put those over there in the corner and, and leave them be. Uh, and when I say he said recommend, he's like, you're going to put those right there and you're going to leave them be or I will destroy you. I'm 10 years old. My friend's 11. My older brother, who was 13, was also with us. We're like, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, we're going to go. We're going to do all these things and wait till he's gone. We grab the bags of fireworks. We go down over the hill. We're on 23 acres. Um, so we go down over the hill. And I don't know why I thought like getting 300 yards away with fireworks was like, he's never going to know, right? <laughs> so we go into the middle of this, this field of, of broom sage. All right? Yeah, oh, yeah. You guys, you, you know. And we start with black cats. Now, to avoid any confusion, a black cat is a little teeny, like you light it and you throw it and it goes pat. All right? I have to make that distinction because a couple months ago, I told this story in my church. And I had all these women the next week email me like, you lit a cat on fire, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, what? No, they literally thought that I had lit a cat on fire. And anyway, we started with these black cats. And, and, and to this day, we still go back and have this conversation. Nobody knows whose fault it was. I like to say it was nobody's fault. But somebody threw their black cat into the middle of this sagebrush. And before we know it, there's a, 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 you know, a burning spot about that big that within five seconds is like this big. And it it went downhill from there, okay? Um, on the outside of this patch of, of broom sage were, you know, 40-foot white pine trees. And my brother and my friend both look at me, <laughs> like, in the midst of their panic, and they're like, go get your dad. And I'm like, no, I don't want to go get my dad. A, because I know he's going to kill me. Two, because at 10 years old, I was like this tall, and I was a, I was a good-sized youngin', okay? And they want me to run up the hill and get my... I'm like, why don't one of you guys go? My brother, he's run marathons. Now, Ed, as a 13-year-old, that was not... But I'm like, why don't one of you guys go? They're like, go. You know, and things are burning and falling down around us. And so I'm like crying the whole way up there. I'm like, my dad's going to kill me. And, <laughs> and I still... I walk inside, and he's like sitting there. My dad's a pastor, by the way. He's like studying for Sunday. And um, he can see that I'm visibly distressed. And he's like, what's wrong? And I just kind of looked at the window and he turns and he looks at the window. And it's like you can see over the hill, there's the smoke. And he just closes his eyes and runs to the door. And as he, as he leaves, we had this uh, a fire extinguisher on the hearth beside our door. And he grabs it. And I'm like, I don't, I think it's too late for that. You know, and he turns around and looks at me like, 
when I get back, I'm going to kill you, you know? And uh, we had every, every fire department in the county ended up there. It was a nightmare. Like, it was truly the things that nightmares are made of. And I remember, like, my, my, uh, my work was over. When I got there and told my dad my work was over, I went and I got under the bed in my bedroom, and I stayed there for hours until my dad came back that night and was like, I've thought a lot about this, and I'm sitting here thinking, here it comes. How am I going to die? He's like, you're grounded for a month. And I could have done the happy dance, like, yeah, I'm only grounded for a month, you know. Guys, in a small town like that, the things that you do, word of that gets home before you do, okay? When I went to school, I didn't go to school. I was homeschooled. (laughs) Where was I when I was publicly shamed? I went somewhere the following week and people are like whispering. Like these are people I've known for years and they're whispering and they're talking about this and I can just feel the, the public shaming and they're pointing and laughing and I'm like, no ha-ha, you know, no ha-ha. Um, how could I have avoided that? I could have listened to the wisdom of someone wiser than me. I could have listened to the wisdom of someone who knows, hey, it's uns- like, I, I pay attention to rain and no rain. I, I understand growing cycles. I know when it's okay to set off fireworks and when it's not. Some of you guys in your conversations with your parents, with your youth leaders, you hear them, you hear them calling you away from things that, that you're wanting to pursue, that you're wanting to go towards because they make you feel alive. And they say, you know, that's not good for you. That's not what God has planned for you. That's not God's best for you. And your reaction is, you just want me to, to you know, hate life. You just want me to not have any fun. You just want me to this and this and this and this. The reality is that they've been there and they've made those mistakes and they have wisdom that they want to impart to you to keep you from going through the same heartache. Guys, you know, that fire, I burned down seven acres of my property, my parents' property, some of our neighbors' property, formerly, or, uh, uh, property, yes. Fortunately, that's the word I'm looking for. They were not like, hey, we're going to sue you because it was just, it's just woods. Anyway, um, now I lost my train of thought again. Why do, I tell you that, why do I tell you that story? I tell you that story because I want you guys to understand the value of wisdom from people who have been there and have, have made those mistakes and have done those things and can keep you from suffering through the heartache and the shame and the pain that pursuing those things causes. I want to read you guys another scripture. This is from Ecclesiastes chapter 2. How many of you are familiar with the name Solomon? And the, yeah, King Solomon. Smart dude, right? Smart dude. We can learn some things from him, can't we? Listen to what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. He says, I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure. So enjoy yourself, and behold, it too was futility. I said of laughter, it is madness, and of pleasure, what does it accomplish? I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine while my mind was guiding me wisely and how to take hold of folly until I could see what good there is for the sons of men to do under heaven the few years of their lives. I enlarged my works. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself. I planted them with all kinds of fruit trees. 
I made ponds of water for myself from which to irrigate a forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves, and I had home-born slaves. Also, I possessed flocks and herds larger than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. Also, I collected for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I provided for myself male and female singers and the pleasures of men, many concubines." Verse 9, then I became great and increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also stood by me. All that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart, withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart was pleased because all, all my labor, and this was my reward for all my labor. Thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done and the labor which I had exerted. And get this, guys, behold, all was vanity and striving after wind, and there was no profit under the sun. <sighs> That's advice from someone who's been there, who has experienced all the things. Everything that he's talking about, these are the things that our flesh is inclined to, in order to feel, in order to fill the void in our lives, in order to feel alive. But do those things have any life to give? No, they don't. And at the end of all of this, he says, all my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold from my heart any pleasure. You guys can take that and keep it PG. Let your minds run with that and you would be spot on. Listen to what he says. His conclusion was, it was all vanity. It was like striving after wind. Did those things, did those things fulfill him? Did those things give him lasting fulfillment? No. After uh, acquiring pleasures, after acquiring riches, after acquiring knowledge, he says, this, this is empty. Those things did not bring him life. Yes, they made him feel, but only for a fleeting moment. And trying to keep them was like trying to keep the wind. But guys and gals, that is the story of our lives ever since the fall. We're born into this sinful, desperate state, caught in a cycle of pursuing things that have no life to give simply because they make us feel. And y'all, if you came here this weekend thinking that there's got to be more to life than what you're seeing day in and day out and what you're experiencing day in and day out, I've got good news for you. God did not leave us in this state. And we'll talk more about that tonight. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I pray over every heart that is here this morning. Lord, I know without the shadow of a doubt that we can all look around us and we see and we, we understand the brokenness that we see around us and we understand, at least to an extent, that the brokenness that we feel in our own hearts. And Father, I pray that you would even now begin encouraging these young folks, helping them to understand that this is not what you intended. And you've not left us to wallow in this state. Lord, in some of these hearts this morning, there are tremendous strongholds that have been built up. 
Lord, would you begin to soften those things so that as we talk about the next, the next step in this four-part process, that when they're confronted with the reality of a savior, the reality of one who can take and make all things new, the reality of one who can restore and bring us back to life as you intended, that their hearts would be ready to receive that. Lord, we thank you for your patience in dealing with us, even when we disregard the wisdom of others and and pursue our own foolishness. Lord, we thank you for your great love for us. And it's only because of that that we can say this morning that we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Life After Camp episode. Discover all of the year-round adventures at RVR and find out how you can support our ministry at rivervalleyranch.com. Thanks.